0: It's Showtime. Don't say it. Please, don't say it.
1: No, I have to say it, Mitch. Showtime.
0: Showtime! It's Showtime, everybody! Showtime!
1: Hello, welcome back to the Showtime Movie Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I am your host, as always, Show. And look, we're back for the second time in just a couple of days, because in less than a week... It is going to be time for the Academy Awards. Yes, the finally they're finally here, right? I mean we talked about it before, but usually by now we're talking about movies that uh what? We're gearing up for blockbuster season as we have been, have done for the last number of years. And uh, usually in February, the Oscars would have taken place, but because of COVID and everything else going on in the world, largely COVID, uh, we are having this ceremony in April this year, end of April, April 25th, 2021 is the day of the Oscars. So hopefully you're listening to this, you know, before we get into uh, the Oscars themselves, because uh, Quentin Amundsen was so kind enough to join me, as he does every year for our our annual Oscar discussion. And uh, you know, it's funny... As we had this discussion, we recorded the episode, or we recorded the uh, interview, our chat, earlier today, and now I'm just kind of putting some finishing touches on it here, but uh, usually we are in sort of agreement. I think he and I generally have the same taste in movies, but uh, yeah, this year there was some disagreement, including on who will win Best Actor and Best Picture, and you know what? As, As we get closer and closer to the Oscars, I'm more and more convinced that there will be some kind of upset. Like... Maybe not for Best Picture, but there'll be, there'll be an upset for a screenplay award, or there'll be an upset in one of the acting categories, maybe multiple upsets, right? So I'm really interested to see, but uh, Quentin and I talked for almost 90 minutes, so uh, here is 90 minutes of uninterrupted Oscar goodness. You know, before we get to the uh, the Oscars, uh, Quentin, actually, I gotta ask you, it only just occurred to me now, what was the last movie you saw in theaters?
0: Oh, the last movie I saw in theaters would have been 1917. Honestly. Really? Yeah, I saw it for wow. the second time in January. Actually, no, that's wrong. I did see The Invisible Man. I completely Ooh. forgot about that with Elizabeth okay. and uh, Yeah, that was actually really a lot of fun. And uh, I think she probably should have gotten a little bit more love. But, uh, you know, like the Oscars hate horror films. So that was <laughs> not to be. What about you?
1: Uh, you know, I've said this before, but the last movie I saw in theaters was Sonic the Hedgehog. I went to see Sonic the Hedgehog with my sister. Like, it, I think that was in, gosh, like her her birthday is in February, and she's a little bit younger than me. She's ten years younger than me, so she likes a lot of the like you know the, the kind of jokey movies, and I enjoy going to see them with her. It's kind of like a, a fun thing me, her, and my brother do. The three of us do as siblings. So yeah, we went to go see that uh, like towards the end of February. And then, like right after that, it was the like it was basically it was it was like the super Bowl I went to then I went to go see Sonic the Hedgehog, then the Oscars happened, and then the world shut down <laughs> essentially in that order
0: and the good thing about 2020 was parasites win that might have been the peak of the year, you know something great like that happening because not a lot of good news after that ceremony all the way. Back in February a year ago, it's really um fourteen months almost it's so weird that we're talking about this in April rather than March or February,
1: yeah, it's true. I know I mean as we're as we're getting going talking about the Oscars, it's crazy to think that in a regular year, and you know you use air quotes when you say regular these days, right, but uh at this point of the year, as we are wrapping up April and going into May. What you'd usually be talking about now is, like, what is the major blockbuster movie for coming out for the summer, right? Like, I mean, it's weird because all of the blockbuster movies, or or most of them at least from last year, got completely, like, just axed and delayed to this year. And some of them have even gotten delayed further, right? Like, we would have been talking about, like, summer blockbuster-wise, we would have been talking about, like, Black Widow and James Bond and the Fast and the Furious franchise and all these mega popcorn movies. And uh, now we're talking about the Oscars, so it's it's kind of weird, although, look, I, I, uh, I'm I never taking uh, your and I chats for granted with the Oscars because it's always a lot of fun, but it's just, I agree with you, it is weird that it's April getting into May and uh, the Oscars still haven't happened yet.
0: And then it's just going to be a really jam-packed schedule for the oh, rest man. of the year because yeah. all these blockbusters are flooding the market, and then, yeah, award season uh, 2022 will be here before you know it, but... It's going to be uh, really interesting. I mean, knock on wood, that Quiet Place 2 is able to be that first uh, blockbuster film that might make an attempt. But, oh, those COVID, we need a better COVID prognosis, though. So we'll see what happens.
1: Yeah, I'm crossing my fingers for James Bond. I've always been a sucker for the. For not just Daniel Craig, but for all of the James Bond movies. So I'm waiting for, for No Time to Dive. So yeah, we'll see on, on Quiet Plays, James Bond and all the others. But uh, like I said, Oscars, they're finally here, less than a week away. So why don't we begin with uh, with some of the... And again, I don't mean to like disparage the, the smaller awards, but why don't we leave the the acting and the screenplays and the best picture directing, that kind of stuff. We'll leave it for the end. And I want to start with you, Quentin, on um, some music, actually, because we got uh, we, we got the word that the music... The music performances, I guess, because the actual ceremony itself, another Zoom performance, another um, ceremony where everyone's kind of calling in from their homes in front of their laptops or cameras or what have you, and uh, news that the the, uh, the the ceremony itself will be like a movie, and who knows what that's exactly going to look like, but we are getting word that the musical performances are being recorded, as you were telling me when we were getting set up for this, so why don't we, I figure that's a good place to start, right, best original score and best original song, and i it's funny because I feel like original score might be might be one of the biggest locks of the evening right like there are some like you t- you talked about to me when we were texting back and forth when we were getting set to record this today that you know there are some that are up, up 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 in the air up for grabs right like maybe best director is one that is is not really a, a contest right or maybe maybe best visual effects or or what have you but i feel like one of the other pretty good locks for the evening so far is best original score probably going to to disney Pixar's soul
0: oh yeah absolutely and it's going to just be of course the team led by atticus ross winning either way because the only challenger is the manx score but they anointed Soul from the very beginning. And I think Soul is maybe the most beloved Pixar film since Coco. And the music has a big part to do with that. And, you know, Pixar is the best at pulling her heartstrings. And the music, especially the last half hour, was so powerful. And the, it's about a jazz musician. That helps, too. So
1: I think it's easily a lock for Soul. Who would have thought that Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross would be Oscar winners, eh? Like, who, who would have thought that? And now they're going to
0: be in the double. Like, they're just becoming uh, such a big treat every year they do a movie, and I think they constantly try to uh, reinvent themselves, and I think it's really great that they were able to get involved in Pixar. I just think they're going to be
1: kind of staples of the Oscars for a while. It'll be it'll be a, an annual race between Trent Reznor uh, Atticus Ross and um, like Michael Giacchino <laughs> and guys, guys like that, right? Like guys who work do a lot of the Disney work and and other other guys as well, right? But yeah, no, Soul seems like it's probably one of the the big locks. I I think an uh, original song, probably. I I feel like my my gut is saying a uh, Speak Now from One Night in Miami is probably going to be the winner there. But like if if another movie or pardon me, if another song upset speak now i almost feel like upset may not be the right word because it's just it's a it's it's a relatively competitive category like if judas and the black messiah won for fight for you i wouldn't be all that shocked let's say
0: no not at all and i actually would not really underestimate the support that the eurovision song has actually i think uh, a lot of people had a lot of fun with it and they're actually are maybe um trying to lean towards something that's a little bit more offbeat and then Uh, Diane Warren is nominated, I think this is her 13th or 14th nomination for the one, um, I can't uh, pronounce the name actually, um, but the wrong road ahead. But I don't think this is going to be her Roger Deakins moment. And I really think that considering the song from One Night in Miami is so kind of baked into the actual film and considering that the supporting actor who sung that song yeah, Leslie Odom Jr. is also nominated for actor. I think that's what's going to kind of push it over the edge a little bit.
1: Also, Leslie Odom Jr., um, I feel like, uh, you know, not, I mean, this often is the case for the, the people who are nominated for best, best Original Song, but of course, he got his start on Broadway, and people probably remember him from, uh, from Hamilton as well, right? And Hamilton was on Disney Plus this summer. Yeah. We got to rediscover him. I saw it
0: for the first time, and I just think it's amazing. And he has a lot to do with that with his performance
1: in the film. I mean he's basically it's funny right cuz I know I know like the as a quick aside quick tangent I know it's called Hamilton and it's about Alexander Hamilton but the narrator of that movie is the character uh played by Leslie Odom Jr like in the original run that was filmed for Disney Plus like that he is the like he is the driving force behind the movie like he pushes the narrative along i feel like so i mean it's not a movie but you know what i mean like on the in in the play he pushes everything along so yeah leslie odom jr i gotta say i uh, you know it's funny Quentin. my my first experience with leslie odom jr because obviously i, I didn't get to see uh, hamilton like when it was a play like when it was when the original run was going on, i guess i should say in new york um was uh i think he was in the reboot of murder on the orient express i want to say like he was like the he was the doctor i want to say right looking with kenneth brana and he was he was pretty good but then i heard him oh this guy apparently is way more famous for singing and he's he's so talented it's crazy i mean he won the tony over
0: lin-manuel miranda so everybody thought so yeah he is the the guy that really stirs things up and of course he uh gets that big assassination scene at the end and That was cool. And I mean, in this film, he is the guy that really owns the screen at the end. He gets the big closing number, Sam Cooke, and he's kind of the most conflicted character out of that whole troop of uh, four famous friends that
1: met in that hotel room that one night. He really kind of gets the meat and he delivers. Yeah, I know that One Night in Miami was one of my favorite movies I think I'd seen. It's probably not going to get, you know, now that I think about it, I don't think uh, outside of Best Original Song, it's probably Walking Away empty-handed, right? Like later, if you consider, it wasn't, I don't think it was nominated for very many Oscars, period, right? Like, I think I, I, when I did my reaction to the nominations uh, initially, I kind of think, I kind of thought that maybe yeah maybe i would have given regina king a best director nomination considering it was like her first ever movie but at the same time i mean you know i, I i'm not going to argue too much but yeah one night in miami was one of my my favorite movies okay so are you are you going to say that for best original song and best original score your your official picks what are we what are we going with here just to confirm I'm going a Leslie odom jr for
0: song uh for the one from one night in Miami. And I will go with Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross for their work in Soul, even though they're excellent in make.
1: All right. Well. So Soul and uh, Speak Now from One Night in Miami. OK, so those are the, uh, the music categories. Let's also get to the uh, documentary feature. And I'll, I'll, I'll freely admit I have uh, also for Doc Short Subject, Animated Short and Live Action Short. We'll leave those alone because... I freely admit I have not watched a second of any of those and any guesses from me would be the equivalent of taking a dart and just hurling it at the wall or seeing what sticks when you're throwing something at the wall and seeing what sticks. So I do have a couple of picks for those but those are just kind of I freely admit just like they're nothing more than straight guesses, right? So we can just move right on to doc feature unless you unless you have some words to share on doc short subject animated short and live short.
0: I suppose I'll just give one piece of advice. Probably the best thing you could do is just pick the one with the most creative name and more often than not, this one's actually win. You look at tra- um, Heaven is a Traffic Jam on a 405. That was the cool title last year and that was the one that won. So if you've not seen a second of the doc, just go with the one with the craziest title and just cross your fingers.
1: I'm uh, for a short subject. Uh, I'm going with just because I like this one. A concerto is a conversation. That's my and pick that's, for uh, and short. And subject. I think the title's got something to do with that. Yeah, it it sounds good. I think right or uh, any if anything happens, I love you. And I think that's more like that's a more that's the animated short I'm going to go with. And I mean that just sounds more interesting than opera. Or Burrow, right? Like those are two other picks or like yes people. Like if anything happens, I love you. That's a great that's a great name, I think.
0: And those are the two front runners. So that there you go. The (laughs) rule that I just
1: laid out, it's already manifesting pretty well for your show. And hopefully you'll be three for three. All right. We'll have to see. Yeah. Okay. So doc feature though, the main, uh, the documentary feature, Um, my, again, I I freely admit there's another category. I haven't gotten around to watching too many of the documentaries. Um, Actually, you know what? I'll be honest. I haven't watched any of these movies, but uh, I know you're a big documentary fan. So why don't you give me the skinny on this category?
0: Well, I've
1: watched about three out of the five.
0: Um, I have not seen the front runner octopus teacher, which is um, one of those, Uh, nature films that uh, definitely has a lot of cool cinematography and it's won the precursors like the the PGA award and the BAFTA. But I always feel like the Oscars try to always pick a film that has a little bit more something to say in the social conversation or the political conversation. Um, And that's why you think you'll have maybe time, which is basically a bunch of archive clips of a woman Uh, waiting for her husband to be acquitted after 20 years in prison. And it has some really good, timely uh, narrative, considering all the news that happened with the, particularly the George Floyd riots and um, the the great uh, moment for all of us really were able to reflect on the Black Lives Matter and what came out of that. And you also have Crip Camp, which, uh, you know, really looks at the battles for accessibility for people with disabilities and I think that might win, and I just think it's because the Obamas are backing it, and we saw the power of the Obamas last year with American Factory, and I sometimes follow those gold derby chats with these insiders, and I think a uh, few of them said that one, uh, Crypt Camp might emerge in the end, but that's a shame because they're also saying that Collective, which is my favorite out of all of them, maybe the best thing I saw all year, they're shied away from a subject matter. They don't want to listen to an investigation into how a hospital really showed a lot of malfeasance with their cleaning materials, which could have contributed to the death. you know, more deaths from a victim of a big uh, fire that took place at a nightclub. Uh, they just were really cheating on the disinfectants and the sanitary conditions, and that led to over 30 people dying in hospital. It's a really riveting investigation done by a sports um, reporting team, but they're just not going to even watch the film according to these insiders and that really ticks me off actually cuz you know, sometimes they have to watch tough subjects and it can't just all be these uh feel good documentaries all the time but hey I love Crip Camp too and I think it's going to be in and I think the Obama's going to have something to do with that
1: so you're so you're going to pick uh, Crip Camp as your official pick I, I think so
0: I mean I like okay. time quite a bit but I just don't think that there was a lot of nuance, and I think they made a big mistake not actually interviewing the family member that was in prison for uh, 20 years. It would have been very cool to hear more interviews with him, but I just felt that there was something missing there. Um, And Octopus Teacher, I haven't seen it, but I, I, I don't know. I just have a feeling that the Oscars might try to do something a little different.
1: So so you're going with Crip Camp, and I see as well that uh, Collective was also nominated for uh, Best International Feature Film, right, in terms of uh, foreign films, and um, look, I think it's unfortunate, right, because I know you like Collective a lot, it, it looks pretty unlikely that Collective is going to win an oscar this year even though it's been nominated for two categories because uh, another round is in international feature film the the five nominees being another round better days collective the man who sold the skin and i'm going to butcher this last one but co vadis aida which i believe is i think it's Sp- spanish i think but um or portuguese perhaps but uh, another round uh, directed by uh, thomas vinterberg I mean, it certainly looks like uh, that is the favorite, given that I mean the guy was nominated for best director as well, and starring Mads Mikkelsen. It was a it was a very very good movie. It just that seems like another pretty heavy favorite in terms of uh, the the locks of the year. And I
0: am definitely on board with another round winning because that film just kind of narrowly missed my top ten of the year. It's so much fun, isn't it? And like in the first half, they really are able to mine the comedy of these four guys trying to keep a certain blood alcohol level in their system and how it kind of led to a lot of great highs before it comes crashing down. It has the drama. It has the comedy. And I think Mads Mikkelsen uh, deserved the win for Best Alcoholic Performance over Gary Oldman, who was nominated. I think Mads Mikkelsen should have gotten a little bit more love there. So I just really think that Mads Mikkelsen's an actor's actor, People like him a lot, and yeah, the director's prize uh, really signals that this film has the love.
1: Yeah, another Round was definitely one of my. If I had to like list my top ten movies that I saw, I guess I guess like if I had to if I had to break the the time period into post Oscars last year and pre Oscars this year, like in terms of like yeah, I guess March of twenty twenty to end of April twenty twenty one. I would I think I would legitimately put another round in the top 10 probably right but uh it was it was it was a lot of fun and then the final you know triumphant scene at the end where he dances and uh, with his students and stuff the uh, man's a teacher and so on dancing at the end with that great song yeah it was a uh, another round is is i think gonna win that one pretty pretty uh pretty much going away um another category here i wanted to get to you with you or maybe yeah, we could we can lump these two together and discuss them at the same time but makeup and hairstyling and production design okay so again i think there's there are some arguments to be made, especially when it comes to makeup and hairstyling for, I think, any of the nominees, certainly. Like, I could see Mank winning this category. I could see Emma winning this category. You know, we, we know the uh, the Oscars love period pieces. And, I mean, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which is the one I'm going with, which I believe is the frontrunner. Um, another period piece, obviously, right? But uh, I – I feel like that's going to be, be the makeup and hairstyling one that wins, if only because how they made up Viola Davis and a lot of the other category, characters Pardon me, in the era.
0: Yeah, that's an absolute lock. And considering Viola is one of the heavy contenders to win uh, for Best Actress, more often than not, you have those transformative performances, getting the Oscar wins, and then the person that's making them up Uh, Gets an award as well. You kind of look, of course, with Gary Oldman and the Joker last year ago, and now this year you more have it on the actress side. But we've seen that also work with Meryl Streep when she was doing uh, Margaret Thatcher. So it just is a very natural pairing. All
1: right, production design. uh, Where are you going with this one? I feel like Mank is. Where I lean, but I I could all, honestly, The Father, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Make News of the World, and Tenet are the five nominees here. I could easily see uh, The Father winning this category, considering how much production design plays into the narrative of the movie, right? Like, if you watch The Father, there's no way you can come away, come away from that movie and not have some kind of thought on how the set is used. In order to tell the story of the movie, like obviously it's Anthony Hopkins' story, Olivia Coleman's story. They're absolutely magnificent in it, and we can talk about them when we get to the acting awards. But in terms of the actual set, like the apartment morphs so many times. The flat, I should say, because they call it, they never call it an apartment. They, they're all English, so they call it flats, right? Uh, but uh, the father is is probably the one that could upset. And again, maybe it wouldn't, wouldn't even be an upset if it were to win, right? I'm going with Mink, if only because it was such a faithful, seemingly recreation of uh of the what the 1930s i guess and it seems also that mank probably won't be winning very many other oscars so maybe they want to reward david fincher and his crew um a little bit here but that's only i feel like that's the only reason i'm going with mank you know i i've texted this to you before but i i didn't really love mank but i feel like it's such a well-made movie it'd be hard for it to walk go away empty-handed
0: yeah, people that did not like the movie or were just more admirers of the movie instead of people that loved it. And I'm apparently in a very small group of people that absolutely loved Mike, But yeah, I they, they can't deny that Fincher, with his you know, very meticulous and almost legendary sense of detail, was able to really do a great job recreating that time when, yeah, of course, Orson Welles was about to create Citizen Kane. and. It's really cool how they were able to bring that to life. And, uh, you know, the little touches that you saw, even with the uh, typewriter words coming on the screen to evoke that old style spirit. But, yeah, the father is really cool because, oh, well, what apartment are they really in? And it really changes and messes with your mind a little bit. So, yeah, that would be the uh, challenger,
1: I would say. So but which one are you gonna go with in the end? Are you gonna go with Mink or I'm fo-
0: the Mank because a okay. I think this is the only place they're going to uh, really reward it at the end of the day, even though there's a couple categories they might um, have a chance to pull off up an upset.
1: I uh, I, uh, I, w- I was going to also add in costume design here because costume design, it feels like, uh, is probably, again, I, I almost feel like you can make the same argument. The same thing I said and the same thing you said about Ma Rainey and how it's going to get a little bit of a push because Viola Davis is, is going to m- maybe at least win uh, an Oscar for her performance. Certainly, Chadwick Boseman is a heavy favorite to win his Oscar performance, and uh, as we both know, that that often affects how voters vote in other categories, so... It's very possible that Ma Rainey walks away with makeup and hairstyling and costume design. I feel like it's the heavy favorite in those categories as well. But again, arguments to be made for Emma and Mank in costume design as well.
0: And Emma definitely has those prototypical costumes from the classical era that normally wins in this award. So Emma is a bit of a challenger. And I think that Anya Taylor-Joy is getting a lot of attention right now because of her success on the queen's gambit so if you're looking at um a stack of oscar screeners to look at wouldn't be surprised if a lot of people did try to pop in and were maybe awed by the costumes of that jane austen era was it also as
1: an aside real quick was was it anya taylor joy cast as like young furiosa for like the mad max prequel was that her i think so i think so right yeah, like I think she's really uh,
0: emerging as an actor to watch, uh, you know, the next few years going forward because of her uh, success. And I definitely think that uh, she'll be somebody that we'll be talking about uh, for the years to come as a young actor coming on the scene. But, and of course, I think the Academy has historically gravitated towards those Jane Austen films before like Sense and Sensibility and those types of films. So, I mean, it is in their taste, at least um, in previous generations, it's always being talked about how the Academy is changing. But I think at the end of the day, you're looking at Chadwick and Viola. Chadwick, while he was living and Viola, they just have commanded so much popularity over the last few years that I think that'll help too.
1: All right, so we're going with uh, Ma Rainey for makeup and hairstyling and costume design. We're going with Mank for production design. Um, Let's get the last two other Oscars uh, before we get to the other major ones out of the way with sound and visual effects. And look, man, if there was ever a time for the best sound—actually, I guess this is the first time it's it's combined, right? Sound editing and sound mixing is just going to be best sound now— And uh, I guess if there was ever a time for a movie to win this award, it would be a movie that is about the hearing experience and a movie that literally has sound in the name in The Sound of Metal.
0: And what was really great about that film is, like the father kind of puts you in the head with somebody in dementia, you really feel the sensation of Riz Ahmed losing his hearing. He's a drummer, after all. That's a nightmare for a musical artist to lose that hearing. And they were able to effectively... Document what happens when you put that hearing aid. How you experience the world yeah. that way. That was so, so good. Man, it, that was good.
1: Really yes, yeah. It's a lock easily. Yeah, I agree. Like, I mean, that, that. I think that might be like just as a as a larger conversation about the sound of metal. I think the the way they depicted the 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 sound and his his hearing loss, and then when he got the implants and stuff towards the end of the movie. I think that is one of the few movies that made me. Like, it made me uneasy, and I thought about it for a couple days, and then, like, I think the next day, um, I was doing some work, cause I, and I've said this before on the, on this podcast, I work at a radio station, so I'm wearing I'm wearing headphones a lot of the time. I'm wearing headphones right now. I wear headphones every day for work, and I have a number of different kinds of headsets. I have, like, a pair of Sony headsets. I have a kind of, like, a headset with a little microphone in front of it. I have the earbuds, and I remember I put the earbuds in my ear, quinted to listen to some music as I was doing some work, and I, like had to think about it i thought twice about it i'm like oh man is this gonna like am i gonna go deaf I'm like am i am i listening to this music too loud like am i am i gonna end up like reuben stone from the sound of metal and and i gotta say that's the first time in a really long time where i actually stopped to think about what i was doing because of a movie i watched
0: oh yeah like and it's really quite terrifying what they put him through in that movie so yeah. it's yeah. it's yeah like i definitely get where you're coming from there and I guess as a comment, I'm just really proud to see how many nominations it got, because in a typical Oscar year, that would be one of those movies that would maybe come out during a summer premiere, it gets a little buzz, but then it just kind of goes away and gets lost in the conversation. But it was really powerful, and I'm just really glad. It kind of hit almost everywhere it needed to be. And I am so thrilled that people recognized uh, the really good artistry in that film.
1: So, uh we're going with a sound for the sound of metal, another lock, I think mortal lock i'm gonna I dare I say, and are we agreed on visual effects? Probably going to be Tenet for uh for Christopher Nolan and his team of digital artists Oh,
0: absolutely that and I think that there will be maybe a little bit of a desire to uh vote for Tenet in this category because I think they feel bad because Tenet did try to stick their toe and open movies in theaters like it was that one brave film. Um, that tried to do that. And, of course, it just did not land because the pandemic really took another gear in the United States during the summer. So I think in addition to it having the best visual effects, I think uh, the uh, film community is a little bit thankful for Tenet for at least experimenting with trying to get it into theatres. And uh, they took a risk. Um, So I think there's a little bit of
1: that driving the sentiment as well. So Tenet for uh, best visual effects... And uh, I actually missed these two on the list here. I have a list in front of me that I'm kind of trying to write without making the sound come up on the podcast here. So, so uh, apologies for that if you hear the sound of paper rustling. But um, I see uh, uh, film editing and animated, best animated feature film are ones we haven't gotten to yet. Then we can get to cinematography and the screenplay awards and so on. But I see for film editing, that's another one that I think kind of similar to production design. I could see this one going in, like, if any of the the nominees in this category won, I would not be surprised, right? Like, the five categories are, or five nominees, pardon me, are The Father, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, The Sound of Metal, The Trial of the Chicago 7. All nominees for Best Picture, all have good reasons to win, all were excellent films. Like, I I think I'm going to go with, I was was texting this to you the other day, I think I'm going to go with The Trial of the Chicago 7 for this one. If only because I think the way they tell the story in Child of the Chicago Seven, in the sense that they'll like a guy will be on the stand and then the defense is cross examining this guy, and then they'll be able to like the guy will say, Oh, okay, well, tell us about this conversation you had with Quentin, and then Quentin will say, and then right before he answers, it'll cut back to the actual conversation. And I don't think there's ever a point in the movie and you can tell me no if you disagree with this man, but I honestly don't think there's a point in the movie where you would watch it and say I'm confused about what time period we're in, or I'm confused as to what is going on. And the way they edit things together almost heightens the tension of what's going on in the actual film. And uh, I'm not saying that's not the case for the other four nominees, but I just feel like it was so much more integral to the actual telling of the story with the protests and what happened before, and what happened after, what's happening in the present. That that's why I'm going to go with this for the winner.
0: Oh, and absolutely, and. Uh, Really, when it comes to editing, the most editing often wins in this category. And sometimes the most editing means the best editing, like it is here. And the cool thing is, for editors, when it comes to awards consideration, is that Aaron Sorkin is a tremendous gift because his dialogue is so snappy. It really kind of demands all these quick cuts to keep up with this guy's frenetic writing style. So it really is a gift to uh, edit one of his films because you really get to do a lot of cool... Um, transitions, and then a lot of really good rapid-fire exchanges. So I think uh, that's going to be a big uh, predicate for this one winning. And it did win the Ace Eddie Award over the weekend, and I think that's a slightly better precursor to have than the BAFTA, which went to Sound of Metal, which I think will be the challenger, because normally the sounds and the editing category kind of go hand in hand.
1: Right. OK. OK. So I, I actually didn't realize that about the film editing one, the, the award it won this past weekend. So there you go. So are you, are, so are you still going to lean with trial or are you going to go with the sentimental?
0: I'm going to go with trial because I definitely think that they want to give that uh, film at least something, even though uh, it has a really good chance of challenging for best picture. I just think that there is going to be a good spread the wealth mentality in the Academy the last couple of years that I think editing is a perfect place to honor this film.
1: Yeah, it's funny, right? Because it's it's, it's it's so possible that Trial of the Chicago 7, nominated for, I don't even know how many awards, but like five plus at the very least, uh, walks away with, it could walk away with three Oscars. It could walk away with no Oscars, right? And that's always a bummer. I, having seen it relatively recently, I know this movie came out in like October, but having seen it relatively recently, I really liked it. I got to say, it was a, it's a very watchable movie considering what it's about and c- considering a lot of people who probably watch it today maybe maybe don't remember it or weren't, weren't alive right so i mean certainly you and i certainly weren't alive in 1968 right so i uh i agree with you i think it would be nice to see this movie rewarded uh, and I, I i like the film editing category as maybe the surest way for it to get awarded i know like it could win best original screenplay could win best picture but i feel like less likely in those categories than it is for film editing um and last one here before we move on Best animated feature. Uh, I I don't think we need really to talk about too much about this. We already talked about uh, Soul in the in the best original score category. And as I said before, if there was a mortal lock, if you could if you could remortgage your house and take that money and bet it on the surest thing at the Academy Awards this year, I dare say even more than Best Director, I dare say Disney Pixar Soul. Winning over any of these other challengers. I know Wolf Walkers has been getting a decent amount of love from some of these indie award shows, um, but ultimately it's going to be Seoul.
0: It absolutely will. Um, the only thing is, if it was the Quentin Amundsen Oscars where I had the power to give out the award, I would be giving it to Wolf Walkers because right. I slightly preferred it more. But in reality, uh, Seoul has this one down completely. And I mean, I am going to love seeing Seoul win because. Pixar is just good. Just when you think that they're maybe kind of plateauing or have lost their magic, they continue to show they just know how to make that really good tear jerking and uh, you know really thoughtful entertainment for kids and uh, really kids at heart. So it's going to be uh, pretty good to see Soul win for sure.
1: It almost feels like uh, whenever Disney or maybe maybe Pixar specifically, whenever they make a movie, you know, like in video games and stuff, when you like equip a piece of equipment, and it's like. Plus, plus 10% to attack or like plus 5% to defense. I feel like it's Disney makes a movie in the best animated category plus 50% chance to win, right? Like that's almost what it feels like these days when it comes to, uh, the, 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 the offerings, let's say by Disney and Pixar. I know Onward is in this category, but Soul was such a, it's about such an abstract concept and they did it so well that, yeah, it's a, that's again, Mortal Lock for best animated feature. All right. So what we, basically the awards we have left to talk about our Adaptive Screenplay, Original Screenplay. We got the four Acting Awards, Cinematography, Best Directing, and Best Picture. So uh, I'll leave it up to you. Where do you want to start? You want to start with the Screenplay Awards? You want to start with Cinematography and Directing? You want to go with the Acting? I'll leave it up to you. Dealer's Choice.
0: Uh, you know what? I think there's a little bit more intrigue with the Screenplay um, okay. and then the Acting and Pictures, so maybe we should just do Cinematography and Directing, since I think things are a little bit more solid there.
1: So, okay, I'm, okay, if we're going to go with those two, is it, is it enough to say Nomadland, i.e. Chloe Zhao, is winning both of those Oscars? Uh,
0: I definitely feel that, yeah, Nomadland has a very solid grasp on both, especially for director. Even the people that are maybe not going to vote for Nomadland for picture, they all credit Chloe uh, for her achievement because she uh, has a lot of humanity and she also is being compared to a Terrence Malik type with her visual eye. Really? And I just think That's that they cool. sometimes, like they do in the acting categories, they want to crown people and kind of be like, well, welcome to the club. You know, you're, you're one of the elite ones now. And I mean, she's going to be uh, directing The Eternals for Marvel later this year. I just think it'll be very good for the industry. And, um, you know, she is going to be the first Asian-born woman to uh, win in director uh, in a year where there is two women nominated in the directing category. That's going to be very cool to see. Um, and yeah, I just think that normally di- uh, director and cinematography uh, kind of goes hand in hand, especially when the director is uh, somebody had an auteur vision like uh, Chloe Jower and Alfonso Caron with Roma a couple years ago.
1: I feel like maybe there's a possibility of like a Mank upset for cinematography specifically, but... Yeah, I I think you're probably right. I think ultimately it's going to be Chloe Zhao for both of these awards. Um, I dare I dare I say that if there was a runner up for best director, I almost feel like it would be Emerald Fennel, right? I, 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 I if if there was a like I know there's no second place necessarily, but if there was, it's probably her.
0: Oh, for sure. Or maybe Lee Isaac Chung for Minari. Sure. Like yeah, I sure. think it'd either be them jockeying for second place uh, for cinematography. I will say that. Um, it was the uh, Cinematographers Guild giving Mank their award um, over the weekend to give them a little bit of life. BAFTA uh, went to um, Nomad Land. And I think that BAFTA is a little bit better of a predictor because um, a couple of years ago, I mentioned Alfonso Cuaron. Mm-hmm. It was so very guaranteed he was going to win the Oscar for cinematography that the Cinematographers Guild gave their award to Cold War, just to shake things up a little bit. I just think that ACSC wanted it to be a little bit different, so maybe that's why they gave it to Mank. But I feel pretty secure with Nomad winning Nomadland winning that award.
1: Okay, so there you go. So I think we're both in agreement: cinematography, best directing, going to Nomadland, which basically leaves us with the acting awards, best picture. An adaptive screenplay. We'll leave Best Picture for the end because that's always fun to go, to do final as the as everyone usually does. Um, Adapted screenplay. The nominees. Okay, so Borat subsequent movie film, which did actually win. Which of the other awards did it win? It did, it did actually win something recently.
0: It won Writers Guild Award. But remember, right. a, there's sometimes films that are not eligible. I don't think Nomadland and The Father were eligible for that award.
1: Right. Okay. So Borat did win. Wasn't competing against the same films. probably unlikely to win adapted screenplay. I think I think it's probably maybe a dark horse at this point, but I'm still going to go with a different movie here. But the 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 five nominees: Borat, Borat Subsequent Movie, film, The Father, Nomadland, One Night in Miami, and The White Tiger. And uh, I, look, I Nomadland probably a favorite in this category, but I'm gosh i i know i i've said this to you before i didn't i didn't love nomadland i still think it's going to win best director and probably probably best picture but my official pick for this category is going to be the father that movie was just so good and i i i'm gonna will it into winning oscars by 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 just saying it over and over again between now and sunday and i love
0: nomadland of course i thought it was the best film of the year but when it comes to screenplay, you really have to give it to the father because that's more of a writing achievement, a movie that's powered by its structure and the way it was able to really walk a narrative tightrope and the way it was able to also be really kind of funny but also scary and really poignant at the same time. So a really good mishmash of genres, kind of like what we saw from the Parasite script last year. Um, and I really think that, it should be honored because Land is more of a visual film, even though it has some really powerful monologues about, you know, home is where the heart is. I, I really think that at the end of the day, they're going to compare these screenplays and recognize that, uh, you know, the father is more an accomplished writing achievement.
1: Am I, am I correct in also reading that uh, it's adapted from a play that Florian Zeller, the director, himself wrote? Is that right? That is correct, okay. yes. So, I mean, I, I can also see that being kind of an aspect of people voting for The Father, because you're not, even though it is adapted into a movie, because Zeller himself, he created this, right? He created it. So I think it is an achievement that kind of, if you're not going to give Best Director, which, I mean, he wasn't even nominated for Best Director, but if you're going to give something to The Father to recognize the the accomplishment of this movie— It would be a good spot to do it because this guy essentially from the ground up, including the material the movie was adapted from, created the whole thing, right? And Christopher Hampton,
0: who co-wrote the the film screenplay, he's been honored by Oscar before. He wrote uh, Dangerous Liaisons with Glenn Close back in 1988. I actually saw that film for the first time this year, and it's really great. Um, So I, I, I definitely sense that he had a a pretty good contribution to bringing Zeller's vision to the screen. And I think maybe Zeller was maybe sixth place or seventh place in the best director competition. So uh, I think they really uh, embraced him this year
1: all right so we're going with the father for adapted screenplay original screenplay is another tight category right i mean we talked about uh movies that are nominated in certain categories that are all best picture nominees well this is another one the categories or again pardon me the nominees for this category are uh, judas and the black messiah minari promising young woman sound of metal and the trial of the chicago seven now i could see minari winning this category i could see trial winning this category I recently watched Promising Young Woman and I'm going to I hope this doesn't sound like recency bias because it was the last movie I watched but uh I really do think that if if they wanted to reward Promising Young Woman beyond acting because like I do think Carey Mulligan is going to win this Oscar uh for acting in a leading role but I think I think this might be the other place to do it. I mean, we kind of know that already that screenplay is a, is often a category where they reward uh, just in terms of how the politics of the Oscars are played, they, re- they reward movies that are not going to win in other categories, right? So for that reason, I feel like I'm more confident in saying Promising Young Woman is going to win. I believe it did win another uh, award in a previous award ceremony earlier this month. But uh, I mean, again, if if the trial of Chicago 7, considering all the things we said about it when it comes to uh, film editing, I can see it winning in this category as well. But Promising Young Woman, I think, has become so timely and relevant in a, in a much different way. It
0: won BAFTA, and it won the Writers Guild, so it has a very strong grip. And also, it's the most wholly original story, considering that Trial of the Chicago 7, even though it's labeled as original, uh, you have Aaron Sorkin pulling from historical source material. but this one's just fully the creation of Emerald Fennell, who's uh, really having her breakthrough moment, which is great because she's also recognized as an actor. Uh, I don't know if you've seen The Crown. She does a great job as... Uh, Camilla Parker Bowles on that really? show. Uh, so she is uh, definitely somebody who's having a moment right now. And uh, yeah, I definitely think it has the cool factor, the defiance, like a revenge story. I, I just think that those really good qualities will push it right towards a win.
1: Okay, so we're going with uh, The Father for Adaptive Screenplay, Promising Young Woman for Original Screenplay. And uh, like Quinton said, it has won a number of awards earlier this month. So again, it probably has been pushed a little further into the front-runner status versus, like you know, any other any more tight races there. But still, you never know possibility of an upset, um, which basically again leaves us with the four acting awards and best picture. Now, for for the acting awards, uh, I feel like it's 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 more up in the air this year than it like you said at the top than it ever has been, or at least has been in the last little while. I feel like of the four frontrunners, or of the four awards maybe is a better way of saying it, actor in a supporting role probably is a lock for Daniel Kaluuya for Judas and the Black Messiah. He plays Fred Hampton in that movie. And again, I think the argument that he or or Lakeith Stanfield should be in a different category, i.e. leading role— is a good one, and we don't have to necessarily have that conversation now because, you know, you'd essentially be relitigating all the issues that go along with race and how it's seen at the Oscars and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, because Kaluuya was so, so, so good, and I believe he did win the Golden Globe for this, as much as you know I detest the Golden Globes. He's won everything. uh, Yeah, he's won everything, right? So it's just, uh, of all the other ones, I think there have been enough different wins that we can have those conversations, but Kaluuya is winning this award, right? Oh, absolutely.
0: And I just think they want to recognize him. He has been on fire since he uh, arrived on the scene, really, with Get Out. Because like, yeah. you look at the fact that also in Black Panther, I thought he was the standout of Widows, that crime thrower that you and I liked a couple of years yeah. ago. That was
1: great. And, uh,
0: you know, also, uh, I didn't see Queen and Slim, but I heard he was really good in it. I just think he's one of the most exciting, charismatic actors Uh, that we have right now and i mean if daniel craig wants to pass the james bond torch on to somebody i'd give it to this guy i just think he's uh really exciting and just the charisma that he was able to have as fred hampton you could just really feel it transmit through the screen and that's special when you have an actor able to you really feel that electricity you don't get that all the time but kaluuya i definitely felt the electricity there
1: he is, I, honestly, he is one of the most effortlessly charismatic actors I've seen in a long time. And I think you and I said that when we talked about Widows. We said that when we talked about Get Out, certainly. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing his, or hearing, I guess I should say, his acceptance speech uh, at the Oscars. But the other categories are, are a little more up in the air, right? Like Actress in a Supporting Role, for example. Our nominees are Maria Bakalova for Borat, Glenn Close for Hillbilly Elegy, uh, Olivia Colman for The Father, Amanda Sidfried for Mank, and Jung Yoon for Minari, and now she is the favorite. Uh, Jung Yoon for Minari, but I mean, if you saw Amanda Seyfried winning, or heck, even Glenn Close winning for *Hillbilly Elegy*, I wouldn't be all that surprised.
0: Oh, absolutely. Uh, I definitely think that Yejung Yoon will be the kind of the way to say, "Oh, we love Minari this year, and this is where we're going to direct our energy." Um, yeah, I can sometimes like to pull up past Oscar president. Uh, uh, the Boyhood movie was a big hit a few years ago. And ultimately, the film that won was, uh, the award at won was for Patricia Arquette in the supporting category. It kind of directed all its love there. And I just think that she'll be kind of the, the vessel or the way to honor a film that they really, really like. I think it's one of the top four contenders for Best Picture. The one scenario that I see um, is Glenn Close because, um, of course, she is entering over for 7. And it's very advantageous, actually, that the woman that beat her, Olivia Coleman, is in this category. So maybe if people uh, kind of remember back to a couple of years ago, maybe like, oh, I ended up going with Olivia and I denied Glenn her Oscar. Maybe I'll, you know, give it to her this time. Uh, I can maybe see a little bit of people doing that, but not enough to take the award away. But hey, Glenn, if you're over eight, you'll be in a club of Peter O'Toole and I don't think being an old for eight club with uh, Peter O'Toole is nothing to sneeze at. So I think she'll have to wait, even though I consider I can see maybe a pathway for her to finally end that Oscar route.
1: Just out of curiosity, Quentin, when you think of Glenn Close, who is what is the role you think of? Like when you just when you close your eyes and you think of a movie with Glenn Close in it, what is the What is the picture? I, I know what my answer is, but I'm just curious what you think. I know your it might
0: be fatal um, attraction or 101 Dalmatians, but I actually recency bias. I mentioned earlier that I saw dangerously asians, right. and I thought that was her best work. I think she um, really commanded the screen there. But uh, am I guessing
1: right that it's fatal attraction for you? Uh, I know I, I'm going to go with your other one. When I close my eyes and I think of Glenn Close, I think of Cruella De Vil. I I swear to God, like I think of you know that scene in the trailer where she like look she's standing on the ground and then she looks directly up at the camera and then she's just laughing evilly like into the camera with like the shock of black and white hair i i don't know if it's just because i saw that movie when i was younger but that image is burned into my memory for the rest of my life or just like like her cruella de vil laugh maybe because the original 101 dalmatians came out I don't even remember when that movie came out, but I I want to say it came out in the '80s at some point, right? Which is before I was born, and uh, I obviously I did watch it uh, when I was younger, like in the '90s and so on. But my my like really vivid memory of Cruella Deville is Glenn Close laughing, and then also at the end of that movie, if you remember, she like falls into a vat of. I have no idea what it's like chocolate or mud or milk or something like. I, mean, like... I think it's milk. I, I think it was mud because I think her horse kicked her with a his right leg. Right. And yes. Yes. That. <laughs> like, that's I just like her being like, oh no, oh, I'm ruined. Like I just, I, I, just, I. It's so, it's silly. Glenn Close is one of the best actresses maybe ever, but like my my internal image of her to to her dying day to my dying day will be uh, Cruella Deville.
0: And that's great. You know what? I would give a little bit of... I thought Amanda Seyfried did a lot of interesting things as Marion Davies. And a lot of people thought that she kind of stole her scenes from Gary Oldman. And Gary Oldman's one of those actors that usually steals scenes from everyone he acts with. So I think the fact that she was able to do that was very good. But this was more one of those nominations, like, oh, you really leveled up as an actress. You're doing more serious Oscar fare now. I think maybe the next thing that she gets in a worse consideration for, might get a win for her. And, I mean, I, I, they do love Olivia Coleman a lot. Um, so, uh, but I, I do think that it's really going to be Minari uh, getting finally a win in this category.
1: Yeah, agreed. It's funny to think uh, Amanda, Amanda as also as an aside, uh, to see her go from what, I guess like Mean Girls to like Mamma Mia to this, right? Like not in that order necessarily, but just, uh, you know, as her career has evolved. It's interesting to watch all these all these actresses and actors' career evolve, right? So, but I, I agree. Minari is winning this one. Uh, we already decided that Daniel Kalia is taking supporting role for an actor, which leads us with the two uh, leading roles. Now, uh, actress in a leading role, I texted to, texted to you this before, uh, Quentin, but the nominees are Viola Davis from R. Rainey's Black Bottom, uh, Andra Day for the United States versus Billy Holiday, Vanessa Kirby for Pieces of a Woman, Frances McDormand for Nomad Land, and Carrie Mulligan for Promising Young Woman. And I feel like the three frontrunners, and honestly, it could be any one of these women, and I wouldn't argue with it really too much, are Viola Davis, who won, who has won something for this category, Frances McDormand and Carrie Mulligan. My my personal pick is Carrie Mulligan because I and again, I wouldn't be too upset if McDormand won or Viola Davis won because those two women turned in absolutely terrific performances. But again, t- talking about talking about a movie that where it, it did it did largely hinge on Mulligan's performance and also how her performance it felt it it was fierce, but it also felt like it was super understated. If if that's the, if those two things don't uh, contradict each other.
0: Yeah, I think she is an actress that is able to bring a lot of gravity, even in those heightened situations. Like She has a lot of originality and there's a lot of defiance to those characters. And I think uh, historically, Oscar's like those characters that really kind of dominates the screen and really tries to manifest revenge or uh, some sort of justice for themselves, kind of like uh, Frances McDormand for Three Billboards a few years ago. Um, you know, it's kind of that type of role. And I think the fact that I know she's only won the Critics' Choice for a precursor, but I have to believe that she's been kind of the runner-up in so many of these categories. And BAFTA, they only had a jury of like 7 to 12 people per category, and they didn't nominate her. I think if she actually was nominated for the BAFTA, I think she would have won there. And She's English too, right? Yeah, oh, absolutely. And another thing is that, of course, Viola has won recently, and her win at SAG, she is loved uh, at SAG. She's won five SAG awards already. And I think it's because she really cut her teeth uh, in TV for so many years before she broke out in film. Right. So I think a little bit of the SAG win is, oh, we just love you. And we're just going to always go gravitate towards what Viola's doing. And for Frances uh, McDormand, uh, yeah, of course, she is one of the greatest actresses of all time. I But I just can't believe that they go back to her for a third so quickly. I mentioned this the other day. They made Meryl Streep wait 29 years. It'd be kind of weird if they just kind of gave Frances a win right now, so close after her second one.
1: So if you'd like to rank them, how are you ranking them? Uh, I
0: would say uh, ranking, I would put Carrie number one. I'd put uh, Viola number two. I would actually put Andre Day, number three, because okay. uh, that Golden Globe win, and I just think that it's really just a one-woman show there, you know, and she does has the, the singing, and she does her own singing, actually. Viola does some of her own singing, but uh, some of it is uh, another performer. And number five, uh, sorry, Vanessa Kirby. Uh, it's not going to be five sorry. different actresses at five different award shows, but uh, she's great. She's going to be... Um, emerging for another award down the road. But uh, I think it's going to be Carrie because Promising Young Woman, it has a lot of support throughout all the Academy branches. And uh, they give Carrie the most amount of credit for it.
1: I think, too, that momentum is a real thing. I really I really do think that. And I think uh, it, the momentum has been building for Promising Young Woman in a lot of ways, like certainly for Emerald Fennell and for the screenplay and so, so on. I know some people are even going so far as to pick it as a a dark horse for best picture i don't think that's going to happen necessarily but again if if, if it doesn't happen for that i could see them like a lot of people's mentality saying okay well in that case you know what we'll put it towards Kerry mulligan for the acting so yeah i'm going with uh, carrie mulligan as well um, which leads us to the final acting award actor in a leading role and uh, the nominees riz ahmed for sound of metal chadwick boseman the late chadwick boseman for ma rainey's black bottom anthony hopkins for the father gary oldman for Mank, and steven yoon for minari and honestly, Gary Oldman, I'm sorry, it's not that he did a bad job, but I would replace him with at least a, a three other actors, one of them maybe being Delroy Lindo, and honestly, if Delroy Lindo was in this category, Quentin, I'd be voting for him, in terms of uh, who should be winning an actor uh, leading in a, in a leading role Oscar this year, but as he is not in this category, um, I think I think a lot of people, and I don't think this is a hot take, are picking Chowik Boseman for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, right? It's, he's, uh, it was a brilliant performance certainly not going to argue with that he would be a contender even if he were alive but the the idea of him getting a little bit of a boost because he passed away so tragically i think is probably going to bump him over the top right i think and again i don't i think i don't believe that's a hot take but, again, as I said before, I think the, the way I'm going to treat this is the person who deserve. I, I think it, like, if it was up to me, the show g- giving out the uh, statue, I'd hand it directly to Anthony Hopkins. I would, take that, I would take that a piece of gold statue and I'd put it right into Hopkins' hands if it was up to me.
0: And me too. Uh, and you just look at it, oh, what role has the highest degree of difficulty? Like, that, The Father could have been a movie that could have easily fallen apart. Because it's really hard to put your uh, movie audience into the mind of a guy that's deteriorating with Alzheimer's and you know, Hawkins was able to really guide us through this stormy film with i think one of the best performances ever and you uh, mentioned in a tweet that it's maybe the best of his career i would say so too more so than uh, Hannibal Lecter and i know that's hard to say cuz uh, his Hannibal Lecter is one of the most iconic characters ever but in terms of his craftsmanship he's never been better than he has right here and I'd agree with you. Really, um, if it was my way, it would have been a really tough call between uh, Hopkins and Delroy Lindo, who was done dirty this year, uh, for the win, I think. Uh, Chadwick is great, though, I will say, in uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. He has a lot of charismatic moments, a lot of flash, and frankly, he steals the film completely away from Viola Davis. I was more interested in seeing him interact with the fellow band members and follow his story more so than I was her as Ma Rainey, even though she's really good as Ma Rainey. Uh, so the fact that he was able to really command a film and steal it away from Viola Davis of all people, that, that really shows you something. Uh, but yeah, if in a world where if it was either you or me handing out the Oscar, it would be, uh, here comes number two for you, uh, Mr. Anthony Hopkins. But I think it is going to be, um, Chadwick, but I'm more at peace now that at least, uh, hopkins won BAFTA. I, that's what i was telling you uh, a few days before BAFTA. i just want him to win just so he doesn't go away empty-handed so now i'm more i'm settled and i'm satisfied with what will happen on sunday
1: so you're saying that you're, you're saying that bozeman
0: is going to win i think so yeah and okay. it's not going to be um you know like oh my goodness this was a bad this was a really great performance of chadwick maybe the, maybe the best of his career too um and I would say, you know, Riz Ahmed, a uh, really strong nominee, Stephen Yuen. And even though I loved Mank a lot, uh, yeah, Gary Oldman could have made way for a couple of other performers. But uh, yeah, it'll be it'll be a great speech when um, his family accepts that award in uh, remembrance of him.
1: I dare say I I might even consider giving the award to Riz Ahmed over Chavik Bozeman. And again, not because I didn't like Chavik Bozeman. I absolutely did. He was, like you said, he stole virtually every scene he was in in that that movie he was super energetic and raw and angry right as if like as levy was just barely containing his rage at not just the band members but like at the world and it almost felt like because you're watching this movie knowing that he had already passed away and knowing that he'd been dealing with cancer for such a long time that it almost adds another layer to like your meta knowledge of watching this performance right that like maybe you could say that the rage of being in such a situation could be something he drew from. And again, you're like, you're getting into guessing at someone's internal motivations, obviously. Right. So it's like you or I know him, but it just, it's easy to put that on him. And I think uh, that might be another contributing factor. I'm going to make my, I'm going to make Anthony Hopkins, my official pick though. I'm officially picking Hopkins to win. I think that's going to be, I, I would, I think it would be an upset, even though I think a lot of people want him to win. I think he would still can be considered an upset because of the late Chadwick Bozeman. But Uh, I think I've talked myself uh, uh, right here on the air with you, Quentin, uh, into into picking uh, Mr. Anthony Hopkins for the father, which, again, leads us to the final. one more thing. I'll go ahead. Yeah, please, please. Go ahead. I think that there definitely you could
0: tell that there's a little bit more momentum in the last few days. And there is a scenario where if the upset was to happen, it'll it'll be people, uh, voters, before they cast their ballot, they'll be like, oh, well, I think a lot of people are going to vote for, take care of Chadwick and vote for him. But my favorite performance of the year is Anthony Hopkins. If you have enough people just assuming that the other members of the Academy are going to take care of uh, voting for Chadwick, that could create a surge of votes. Maybe kind of like what happened with Glenn Close a couple of years ago. Like, oh, well, yeah, this is Glenn's time. And I think a lot of people are going to vote for her, but I loved Olivia Colman in the favor. I'm going to vote for her. Maybe a little bit of that could possibly go on and, If you look at the audience ratings of, you know, like on Metacritic, Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb, The Father is perhaps the most beloved film of the eight. I have the highest audience ratings across the board. It's a more uh, beloved film by audience members than Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. So sometimes the audience and the Academy's taste can mirror each other. So maybe those are a couple of the underlying factors that could fuel uh, an upset victory.
1: I dare say, too, I mean, I know a lot of people say that they're going to vote for Chadwick Boseman based on um, the fact that his, his his very promising career was cut short because of cancer. And so it's almost like a way to reward what he did in Ma Rainey, but also a way to reward his entire kind of body of work, um, which obviously includes Black Panther, includes him playing Jackie Robinson in 42. It includes him. Uh, doing, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was in he, he was in draft day, right? I mean, he's in so many different movies that uh, you and I have both seen. Um, I also feel like the like the idea of well, Anthony Hopkins put in a career best performance, and Anthony Hopkins is also really old, and maybe he might not ever have a performance this good ever again, and he might be unfortunately he might be dead soon in the next level, like ten years. Um, as as like morose as that is to say, I could see them. You know, re- you know, "quote unquote" rewarding Anthony Hopkins by saying, "Well, you know what? He's also had an absolutely legendary career." And he, he got an Oscar the last time for a movie in which he was in for, what, 16 minutes or 18 minutes or something like that, right? So maybe maybe this would be a, another way to... Like, I get to see that being the argument, the, the, the thought process for voters for Hopkins.
0: Well, this, it would be a true leading performance win. Yeah. Even though yeah. he won lead 30 years ago, he truly was the supporting player. So this would be maybe the first way to manifestly award him. I'll say one thing about Anthony Hopkins, you know, second year in a row with a nomination, nomination last year for the Two Popes. So maybe he's going to be an and like the late Christopher Plummer, who will just kind of be in the conversation over and over again. You look at Christopher Plummer maybe having the best decade of his career um, before his uh, sad passing in recent months. So maybe uh, good things are in store for Anthony Hopkins as he uh, turned 83 in December. Yeah,
1: 83. He's been around for so long. It's been great. It's been so fun watching Anthony Hopkins. I feel like, I mean, he was in, he was great. Like, just talking about his recent stuff at the very least, I mean, certainly the two Popes. He was in, he was Westworld. great, frankly. Yeah, Westworld man. He that might have been another category. Him as Ford, like the evil, uh, like creator. Of, maybe evil is a strong word, but like you know, he the the, the shady dealer, or creator of, of Westworld engineer, and he was so so good. I know people kind of fell off on Westworld after season three, and he wasn't in season three, but uh, he was he was my favorite part of, of that uh, very fun TV show. And uh, now, yeah, Two Popes and, and now The Father. So uh, I think you uh, could be right. I think there's a, there's a path for him to win here, I think.
0: Oh, absolutely, uh, for sure. And, you know, The Father is such a good film. And I think if it maybe came out a month earlier, it would maybe have a little bit more heat to challenge for Best Picture because it is truly one of the great achievements of the year for me. Um, yeah. And I know and you were probably surprised when you saw it last week how scary of a film it really really is kind of a scary film and and, you know that's one of the terrifying things that you know you really contemplate like well like look what alzheimer's unfortunately could do to people you know and it's just you know like you were talking about sound of metal earlier it you really kind of are shaken when you see the father
1: it's funny i i said in my review that um my grandmother, who passed away when I was, I want to say I was like 10 or 11. So a long time ago, like around 2000, 2001, thereabouts. Uh, I was really young when she passed away. Right? I was pretty close with her, but at, towards the end of her life, she was like 85, I want to say, 83, 84, 85. And when she passed away, um, she had dementia towards the end of her life. And my mom uh, took care of her. Because, she had, because my parents are from South America, and they, her, she, my mom is the youngest of seven sisters. So my grandmother moved here after my um, my mom did in the 70s and 80s. And uh, they lived here ever since. And when she passed away, most of her daughters, including my mom, were still were here in Canada. Some of them live in England. Some of them live in South America still. But most of them live here. And uh, all of them had to deal with their mom having dementia. And I never really thought... Like, I never really had to deal with that because I was 10 years old, right? I never really thought about it. And after I watched The Father, I remember... I talked to my mom and I I told her about it and she was quiet for a while and she was kind of like, yeah, it was like really rough and she didn't really expand on it. And I didn't really, I wasn't going to ask her to, but I guess it is, I never, I've never had to deal with it, but watching it made me appreciate what the, what people who have had to deal with it and still have to deal with it, uh, have to go through because it's, it's scary. It really is scary.
0: Oh, it absolutely is. I mentioned, um, when you uh, reacted to the film to me in our Facebook chat that, Yeah, it was just been uh, about a year uh, last March that my grandmother died of Alzheimer's. And the worst thing that could happen is it really takes away that special, you know, personality, that unique magic that each person has. Like my grandmother before Alzheimer's was, you know, just such a social butterfly. That was the term that was used for her. She was always out in the community kind of square dancing and you know, it's really tough when, you know, those really special parts of your personality are overtaken by this tough disease. And you kind of saw that coincidentally with a, a tapping uh, scene, a dance, a tap dancing scene. And the father right, which right. was like, oh, yeah, this guy, when he was had his faculties, he had that special spark to him. And, you know, that's uh, that's another unfortunate thing that comes to the disease. It really takes that special spark of a person out of them. And it's really powerful.
1: Yeah, I think I—that is well spoken, man. I think um, I would—it's for all those reasons. I think I would love to see Anthony Hopkins win. And again, I don't—I don't think by saying that it means I didn't like Chadwick Boseman, right? I think it's just that he. It, sometimes there are two great performances, and you're not wrong picking either of them. And I'm—I'm I'm just going with Hopkins in this particular case. Uh, but yeah, I wouldn't—I wouldn't be surprised, or really all that upset, if Chadwick won. Just like you were saying earlier. Um, which, again, though, leads us to Best Picture. Uh, and, of course, the nominees for this one are The Father, as we've talked about at length, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. And as, as I've said to you, Quentin, if I had to rank these movies, I'm putting Nomadland second last, just behind <laughs> Mank. I, I know you loved Nomadland, so I'll let you, I'll let you tell me why Nomadland is going to win Best Picture this year.
0: Well, it's really crazy show. The, the last three years that we've done it, we're normally in like almost complete alignment. Um, but my number one and two of the year were Nomadland and Hank. The two films you love the least, I love the most in this category. Um, <laughs> for Nomadland, I just think that it's such a powerful film that we um, really need it in the world today because it's somebody trying to really rediscover their soul in a world that has really become very soulless. And it's a film that has tremendous empathy uh, for the really good subsect of culture that it's exploring. And Roger Ebert, you know, the famous critic, said that films are a machine of empathy and humanity. And I think this film taps into those special magic qualities of film better than a lot that I've seen lately. And it just made me feel spiritually good on the inside. There was a warmness there that I really felt, and um, I was mentioning kind of briefly the other day that uh, I saw those comments from Charles Barkley um, that went viral, saying that there's so many forces in the world that's very determined to kind of keep us divided at each, at each other's throats a little bit, and I think this movie shows a tonic of how we get away from that. You know, we listen to each other, we get invested in, you know, the, the, the life stories, the people that We kind of don't understand. Well, I didn't understand anything about these people that decide to basically, you know, by choice or sometimes by necessity, like, you know, leave to the traditional conventional lifestyle and live in a trailer and go uh, maybe during the summer, they'll, you know, work in the crops. And maybe during the winter, they'll work on an Amazon assembly line. And I just found it really quite special how this film was able to open my eyes and let me walk a mile in the shoes of somebody who I just had no understanding of. And I just, I don't know. I just, I just had a very powerful experience, but I know this film has left a lot of people cold. There's been some people that are like, well, there's no plot to land. It's basically Francis McDormand in a trailer doing a lot of stuff and there's no driving and traditional crowd pleasing elements. So I can understand why some people would maybe be knocked bored with Nomadland, but I just had a very powerful experience. Plus, it's won so many of the precursors. It's it has. won yeah. precursors at such a dominant rate. Uh, the last time a film that won precursors like this was La La Land. But of course, we know what happened with La La Land at,
1: with the very last award, the biggest award of all. It didn't win. Well, you know, it's funny too. I feel like uh, even, I guess it was last year, 1917 was winning like all of the precursors left and right and then Parasite won in the end anyways, right? So I feel like it's... I, I think it's the, still the most likely to win, but I don't know that it's as big a lock as some of the other awards we've talked about tonight. You know what I mean? So I think that's the only re, That's the only question mark I got is that is is it is, is the path for some of these other movies maybe gonna maybe maybe there's a bit of a vote split that leads to trial winning or maybe even Minari winning. I think that's probably No Man Land, Trial of the Chicago Seven, and Minari are probably the top three in some way. Maybe with the uh, Promising Young Honestly, Woman number four?
0: It could be three or four. I, yeah. I, I think that's, that film's pretty powerful. But uh, that you, you touched on a good point there, Sho. Normally, uh, you have a situation. And just to kind of sidetrack for a moment, the one thing that No Man, uh, unfortunately, has going for it is that there is this BAFTA curse that exists. The last time that BAFTA Best Picture went on to win the Academy Award Best Picture was 2013. Wow. So it's very interesting how all of a sudden BAFTA's kind of been a kiss of death. So we'll have to see <laughs> if Land could overcome that. Uh, I mean, Parasite won the SAG Ensemble last year. And the movie that won the SAG Ensemble this year was, um, of course, Trial of the Chicago 7, yeah. which has a big host of likable actors. And one thing that hurts Nomadland is you have Francis McDormand and then, you know, a little bit of Dravis, Davis Trefaren sprinkled in there from time to time. But it's largely... Um, a bunch of unknown actual nomad lands who have uh, no acting experience, and that's kind of Chloe Zhao's sensibility. She does that with a lot of her films, but maybe the acting branch, the biggest branch of the Academy, will maybe be a little bit more cold to that and pick the film that actually has uh, a lot of actors that they really, really like, uh, to steal a little bit of a line from that Sally Field Oscar speech from years ago.
1: <laughs> yeah, I could, I could see, that's a good point, actually, I could very much see actors being like, well, do I want to vote for half of David Strathairn and and uh, Francis McDormand, or do I want to vote for like ten actors all in one go in the trial of the Chicago Seven, like Sasha Baron Cohen, Mark Rylance, Frank Langella, Yahya Abdul Mateen II, um, Eddie Redmayne, like uh, the Don Carroll Lynch? Right, <laughs> the list goes that's on a, and on and on. That's
0: a great cameo there too. Yeah, who does? Sorry. Michael Keaton makes a hell. of a- Yes!
1: Oh my God! Honestly, yeah. when when they kept talking about uh, the former attorney general in the movie, and then it was like they were like building up to some reveal. I'm like, man, they're really keeping this Ramsey Clark guy under lock and key. And then it, like the camera like moves over to show you him like around the corner as you as you the audience member enter the room, and it's Michael Keaton. And I, and I think I out loud was like, oh, let's go, <laughs> Michael Keaton. So yeah, it's it's true. I think uh, acting power wise, is probably no movie on this list that beats travel the chicago 7 right so i could see that being a big point in its favor i gotta say nomadland is this is why i didn't like it i nomadland is the best documentary i have seen in ages i i, I don't really it's like barely a narrative movie you know what i mean like you said people come kind of criticize it because it has no plot that's my biggest problem with it it's just like it almost felt like it was francis mcdormand traveling from site to site interviewing a bunch of people about their lives right and it, all i could think of when when i finished watching it was these people are real nomads who do this for real and and tell and share their incredibly difficult lives, their very personal stories with Frances McDormand, who like leaves afterwards and goes back to her like incredibly famous life as <laughs> like a, one of the most famous actresses of all time and is a millionaire. It just like, struck me as kind of weird. And then also, I think I, I've not read the book Nomadland is based on because Chloe Zhao did, I believe, write the script for this movie. But it's like you said, it's it's based on a book. And as I recall from so another criticism of this movie, and that, that kind of cropped up relatively recently, um, is that you mentioned the Amazon scene. It, it kind of felt in the movie, and again, it, I don't think she necessarily made a statement that Amazon is good necessarily, but because it, she goes to an Amazon plant and just kind of works there and then leaves, whereas the book, from what I've read, has some pretty heavy criticisms of Amazon that weren't included in this movie, and I, and I wonder if that might not hurt it a little bit. You wonder if it does, but the
0: one thing is I kind of don't like it is when people try to criticize a movie for not being what they want it to be. Like, oh, well, some people may have have something against Amazon, and maybe, like you said, it is based on the book, but sometimes people are like, oh, well, there should be more of a polemic against Amazon. But really, at the heart of it, this movie is a spiritual experience of a woman. I think the core line of the story is actually said, um, very early on, when a, one of her students comes to her uh, and says, "Oh, so you're um, homeless now, huh?" Right. And then she corrected her quickly, saying, "I'm hostless. I mean, I'm yeah, because really she feels at home wherever she goes. Home is where the heart is, um, and that's really what it is. And I think people are trying to maybe make this movie into something it's not. Hell, if they want to watch a film that's critical of the gig economy and companies like Amazon." Watch Story We Missed You from Ken Loach, uh, British film in 2020. Like, that film does a great job criticizing that. Like, don't try to put no- that into Nomadland when... That's
1: not trying to be that film, you know? Well, I, I guess... I guess... I, I don't necessarily agree with the criticism. I, don't, I Frankly, I don't really care if it chooses to, to criticize Amazon or not. I just mean, because the source material does criticize it, and then Chloe Zhao, for whatever reason, chose to not include that criticism... It almost it almost feels like, and again, I think you're right in that people are kind of putting their thoughts on Amazon into into her decision. Because again, like I said with with uh, Bozeman, we don't know what her motivation for for doing it or for not doing it. It could have just been expedient for the purpose of telling the story and not wanting to get into a whole criticism of Amazon. Because how would you really work that into a a movie like this that frankly doesn't really have that much dialogue to begin with? I think
0: that would have really change the tone and would have uh really jarring i think if it really would have delved too much into
1: that like you know know what, what i what i find interesting about it is that because the movie kind of tells the story of a woman who um loses her house and her her job because not it's not because of corporate america but because times change because of like things that are no longer needed it it does it to me it does like strike me a little weird that a company like amazon that has done the same to so many other companies and, and businesses across the world, not even just America or Canada, but in the entire world like the like Amazon's business model ha- has without a doubt changed the way we shop and 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 interact with goods and services on the face of the planet not even just like buying things on the internet but like Amazon web services powering everything from like banks to to movie industries and all sorts of stuff i I just I find it strange that the movie does talk about someone losing their job and livelihood and becoming a nomad out of necessity and then she goes to work for amazon and then you know what i mean like i i, I don't know it just it, it it leaves a kind of like weird taste in my mouth i can't really articulate it well but i guess to kind of feel on the way that you know it's kind
0: of revealed that she is sort of more a nomad at heart sort of when really, um, there's other characters like the Derek Davis Witharin character, or right. maybe he is not a natural that's nomad. Fair. As soon as yeah, he yeah. was able to return home to the comfort of his family, he wants to stay there. And when I know he wants uh, Fern, the character played by her, to stay with him, but really she just feels in her soul she needs to be a nomad, and that's a really cool thing that's explored. That you know, sometimes it's not just it, it shatters the assumption that all these people. We're just people that were just afflicted by the system and sort of spat out. These are some of these people are really trying to get away from, you know, just a societal structure that they think is taking soul out of it. And, you know, you kind of you kind of see a little bit of soul draining out of our society, I think. Um, and, you know, you kind of see why maybe some people are drawn to that a little bit. Um, it's it's quite something, but I can understand, you know, stepping outside of my biases, I understand why some people might be inclined to
1: not vote for that film. I will say as well, and one final point, um, simply that I, 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 you mentioned that you had a really powerful experience watching it. I think for me... The movie that I had the most powerful experience watching, and I'm not going to, it's not my official pick. In fact, I'm going to just, might as well say it, Trial of the Chicago 7 is going to be my official pick for Best Picture this year. And again, it probably means I'm going to be wrong in a lot of these because Chadwick Boseman's probably going to win Best Actor and Nomadland's probably going to win Best Picture. Uh, But I'm going to go with Trial of the Chicago 7 for Best Picture officially. But if I had my way, if I, again, like Anthony Hopkins, if I could pick up that Best Picture Oscar and hand it to the winner, I would hand it to Minari. I would hand it to Lee Isaac Chung, because I think you said for Nomadland, it tells, it's a very kind story. It shines a light on, uh, on a part of America that doesn't often have light on it at all, right? Like almost like a forgotten part of the collective society. And I have no doubt uh, here in Canada, you and I are both in Canada, me in Toronto, you in, in Alberta, um, that, that it exists here as well. Don't get me wrong, it probably exists everywhere all over the world frankly. But I feel like in terms of kindness and the idea of success and perseverance and trust and love, I think the most powerful movie I saw that really got to me at my core was Minari this year. Like, I absolutely adored Minari. Like, I think my favorite movie going back to Parasite of last year, like that one best picture is Minari going away. Like, it's not the number two movie is not even close. Whatever that is, it's Minari for me.
0: And it is really powerful and warm and uh you know, is you know, it's really adorable, you know, like the the whole cast, not just Yin Jon, but you know, Stephen Young, who's um really terrific and the young boy, Alan S. Kim, you know, <laughs> He's kind great. of like the, the scene stealer, I think. I think we're gonna be hearing uh more about him as the you know, things go. He has a really bright future. And yeah, absolutely, and he, it really is Uh, Even though it is an American story, it's about that American dream about wanting to create something for yourself and trying to dare. And sometimes, uh, you know, man's vision can exceed his grasp, but it's good to at least try to um, forge a good destiny for yourself. It It is quite powerful, Minari, I would say. So yeah, whatever I'm saying for Nomadland, you're saying for Minari. The experience that I had for Nomadland, you you were basically had that with this film by least Isaac Chan, by the sounds of
1: it. Yeah, oh yeah, man, I I I'm so happy I got to see that movie. That movie was I, that that was gonna stick with me for a long time, I think. And I just like I, I think too, I don't really give any any thought to that controversy at the Golden Globes about how it wasn't nominated for best for best feature film or whatever, best drama because of the. A lot of it was not in English, which I think is just that is more a failing of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association um, and their rules that they have created for the Golden Globes than I think it is any. Fa- it's, it's not a failing. Minari doesn't really have any failings, <laughs> in my biased opinion. But yeah, I didn't really pay much attention to that. But I do wonder. I do wonder with the the, the kind of push in America against anti. Asian-American violence, right? Because we've seen that happen, unfortunately, a lot over the past little while. Like in recent months, there have been a lot of attacks in America and, and certainly in Canada as well against people who are of Asian descent. Um, and I wonder, like a lot of actors have come out in support of, as they should, right, in support of, of Asian-Americans and Asian-Canadians and so on, I, it makes me wonder if there might not be a way to like a way for that to potentially play into how people vote for Minari or how they rank it on the ballot and maybe it gets ranked a little higher than maybe other people would have necessarily ranked it i just i guess what i'm saying is if that is any sort of factor um and i and i personally think it will be if the father is as is resonates with a lot of people as we as, as it resonated with you and i and i'm sure it resonated we told our stories about um, about our families and so on. I'm sure many, many people have other stories like that. You know, um, Judas and the Black Messiah probably res- resonated with, with a lot of people as well. Um, a very well-acted movie, well-directed movie as well by Shaka King. I just think Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, more than any other year, I almost feel like this, the vote split or the way the ballots are ranked could mean that... I, like, I wouldn't be surprised, frankly, if Minari won big Picture. I wouldn't be surprised if Trial won. Obviously, Nomadland already, as we said, is the front-runner, but I mean... It wouldn't be that shocking to see a non-Nomadland movie win this award.
0: Not at all. And you know what? I am inching closer to actually maybe switching to trial on the Oscar polls that I do beforehand. We'll see where we are. Right now, I'm sticking with Nomadland. But I will say that I can't picture a lot of people voting Minari 6th, 7th, or 8th. I think that's a film that will comfortably get a lot of number 2, number 3, number 4 votes. And sometimes it more matters if you get those number two, number three, number four votes more than the number one, uh, you know, votes. Uh, that's what a lot of these Oscarologists say. Basically, every film's going to get that sort of love, except for Mank, unfortunately. I think that was <laughs> comfortably going to be in eighth place, even though I, I don't know. I, Hey, they, they, that just happens to be my wheelhouse. I like those movies. It's true. Yeah, even though yeah, I, I think, yeah, you've criticized, you, you said that there's too many of them. Uh and uh, 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 definitely I <laughs> disagree I would say but,
1: uh, yeah oh gosh we'll have to, we'll have this conversation again I'm sure remember you were telling me uh recently there's that movie it's like the movie about the making of the Godfather whatever happened to that uh, I think it's still going to be you know it's on. definitely
0: moved towards Maine. yeah I think I thought it was like Oscar Isaac supposed to be in that one or yeah right or, yeah Chinatown so there's there's quite a few and there's uh, there is a little bit too much of it in the marketplace, I will say. Just like there's too many comic book films, frankly. Um,
1: <gasps> How dare you?
0: <laughs> yeah, I just think that... But yeah, Like you said, so many of these films, they cut at the core of people. And they, they're about really important issues. And there's going to be passion all over the place. So do not be surprised if you hear something totally shocking like... And the winner for Best Picture is The Father. Like, anything, yep. everything's on the table. This is... Such an unpredictable year. This is the most fitting time for a film to come out of nowhere and win it all. And every film except Mank could possibly do that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you know what? I I will say there's no movie this year, Quentin, like Green Book. You know what I mean? Like, there's no movie that if it won, it would be, like, problematic, I feel like. Right? Like, Mank is the only one that I I think has no shot in winning. But, I mean, if it were to win, it'd be because it's a well-made movie about Hollywood. And we know Hollywood loves to talk about Hollywood. But, I mean, it's not going to happen. But any of these movies winning, wouldn't, like, there's no problematic issue with them. You know what I mean? Like, they all have some kind of relevant issue in today, or there's a, there's a, a good reason you can, you can see why it would win for basically seven of these eight movies. And I think that's a, that's a good problem to have, frankly, as far as I'm concerned.
0: And almost kind of a miracle, considering that I thought it was going to be a dearth of films. Like, oh, there may be two or three really great films this year, but You know, unconventional marketing, they had to do VOD and obviously a little bit of virtual cinemas. I know you and I saw some of these films with the virtual TIFF Film Festival, which is quite something. Uh, But they found a way, you know, and uh, maybe it'll be a little bit more pure, um, you know, in terms of the good selections, because there wasn't those, those Hollywood parties where awards are bought sometimes where, you know, you're kissing the babies and you're shaking the hands and yeah. there wasn't, oh, Oprah hosts a party for this person and this person is going to hold us at a cocktail party to honour this. Like, there wasn't as much of that. And maybe people actually finally watched the films, which uh, Academy members, they have one job, is to watch these movies and vote. And a lot of them kind of fail at those jobs, unfortunately. <laughs> so maybe they actually did their job this year, uh, which is refreshing,
1: somebody actually doing their job. And, make, uh, make you and i we, you and i need to be the oscar, oscar voters that's what needs to happen
0: well that's the big we actually think back from january to <laughs> december unlike these guys who think from october to december well in typical oscar years so yes uh, may, maybe it's about time that quentin and show
1: get some votes for the academy awards <laughs> yeah, we'll, well, we'll, uh, we'll try and uh, co-op some screeners for next year but uh, man i appreciate it you're going with nomadland I'm going with the Trial of the Chicago Seven for Best Picture. We'll see uh, where we are. Our, our official tally is. I'll, I'm going to post my ballot on twitter i think uh before the oscars and i mean we we, i mean we've recorded them for posterity here on this episode of the podcast but either way i think it'll be fun to get them out there but as always man i appreciate uh you making some time to come on the podcast i appreciate that we get to text about movies all the time it makes uh, the the dreary year of 2020 and what's been 2021 so far a little more bearable so thanks for coming on with me and i will uh i'm sure i will be texting you on sunday night
0: oh absolutely it's a treat doing this with you show and uh Thank you, and I look forward to uh, continuing this annual tradition uh, going forward, because it's, it's a thrill to just kind of get the temperature before this ceremony. I know they're bracing for disaster. You know, It's probably going to be the lowest Oscar-ranked ceremony by probably. far, but yep. it, it's going to be interesting. And, you know, Soderbergh is a guy that knows how to do these digital films, considering he shoots his films on iPhones. So if anybody's able to do something interesting at the ceremony, I think Soderbergh's the guy, so... I'm really intrigued by what we'll see on Sunday night.
1: And I'm intrigued as well. I, I can't wait to see what the Oscars have in store for us on Sunday night. I should really quickly mention, if you can notice a change in audio, is because I'm recording that piece of audio via Skype, and now I'm recording directly with the kind of the intro-extro parts, directly into recording equipment right so i guess look i guess that's what you get for recording on skype usually when i do interviews it's done in a in a studio where i can have a board and plugging in phones and all sorts of stuff right so hey what are you gonna do right here 2021 and and 2020 before it have been a a challenge so uh you take what you can get from a, a technology standpoint but yeah i hope um i hope you all have your oscar predictions ready I hope you are ready for some upsets. I hope you're excited to see what the actual format of the movie, quote-unquote movie, will look like on uh, on Sunday. I've, d- I've done a lot of movie watching. Actually, it's funny. In between me recording the interview with Quentin and sitting down to edit it and wrapping it up right now, I actually did watch Nobody, that Bob Odenkirk action movie. So uh, then after the Oscars, we'll pump out an episode with Nobody, and I think the new Mortal Kombat movie. If you've seen that, you know the new one with Joe Taslim and a whole bunch of other people as well, uh, whose name I, names I don't remember off the top of my head, and i have to look it up on IMDb. But uh, it, looks, it looks interesting, and I feel like if we're going to try and uh, pair it with another film, um, since all the awards movies have been kind of watched already, I think I'll pair it with Nobody. Which, you know what? Uh, bite-sized review? It was fine. It was fine it was no john wick it was no atomic blonde right it was it it reminded me of those kind of silly movies from the late 80s early 90s that were schlocky and had no real meat to them it was like it was entertaining but i think by the time you get to the end of the movie you're kind of like yeah okay it's like eating a bag of chips right you like it while you're eating it or eating fast food right you really enjoy it as you're downing that scarfing it down stuffing your face and then later you're kind of like yeah, I think I'm still hungry for something real, right? I need some real food, right? I think that's what, what nobody is like. That's the bite-sized review. We'll get into it more when we do the review later on. But as far as the Oscars go, uh, again, those were our predictions. Me and uh, Quentin Amundsen, I'm sure uh, if you guys want to share your ballots, share your picks, your favorite picks, your best bets, perhaps, you are always welcome to share them with me, at Alley with two L's, or uh, show, S-H-O, Time Movies on Twitter. But uh, that's it from me. Enjoy the Academy Awards on Sunday. I know I will. And until next time, have a great night.